me if you brought your Bibles, and I hope that you have. You turn with me uh, to the book of Psalms, uh, to the 23rd Psalm, to be specific. Uh, the 23rd Psalm is probably the most famous and most well-known of, of all the Psalms, I think. I mean, I, I, that's just what I think. I don't know that, but I feel like that's probably right. Uh, probably every one of you here this morning are familiar with it, even if you're not familiar with it by name. As I begin to read it, uh, you'll recognize it. Some of it will sound familiar to you anyways, I think. Uh, but anyway, Psalm 23. Now I want to read the whole psalm, but then there's one verse in particular we're going to hone into. Uh, and, and I'm just going to tell you right up front, I feel like I've got a lot to say about this psalm, way more than I'll get done this morning. So it'll be however the Lord desires for it to go, but I feel like this will probably be two parts. It'll probably be one part this morning and the other part tonight, but we'll see how it goes. Psalm 23, the first verse says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just humbly come before you here this morning one more time thanking you for the good day and the many blessings. And Lord, we just come right now, Lord, uh, asking that you would have your way and your will in our midst this morning. God, there is no surprises here to you. Lord, you know our hearts, you know our minds, you know what we think about, what we dwell on, what we do. You, you know what we have done, you know what's still ahead of us. There is nothing that is hidden from you. And so, Lord, we just pray right now, God, that you would just have your way and your will here in our midst and in this service. God, there is, I am sure there is many needs amongst us here this morning. I know that there's probably some that need a healing touch from you, some that just need to be lifted up and encouraged, some uh, that need to be convicted, that's just not doing what they ought to do, and they know that. And so, Lord, and there is some, Lord, that's probably uh, got things that they have hidden or think that are hidden. There is some that probably just, uh, Lord, that just needs a closer walk with you. Lord, whatever the need is, Lord, whether it be comfort, whether it be healing, whether it be salvation, Lord, I pray that today would be the day, Lord, that you would move in their midst in a mighty way. Lord, that today would be the day that you'd pour out your spirit upon them. Lord, that you'd pour out that old-time Holy Ghost conviction. Lord, that you wouldn't give me peace till they'd repent and get things right with you before it's everlasting. Too late. Lord, whatever the need is here this morning, from the person who's lost to the one who's backslidden to the one who just simply needs a word of encouragement, Lord, let today be the day. Oh God, my prayer, my desire is that none would leave here the same as how they come in. Each one would leave here knowing that their name is in your book 
that whenever they leave this world, that they will go to be with you. I pray that each one would leave here with a greater hunger, thirst for a righteousness, a greater desire to take your word to a lost and dying world. So, Lord, I'm asking for you to show up and do what only you can do here this morning. And we'll be sure and give you every bit of the glory for it. And, Lord, for myself, uh, as I begin to preach here this morning, I feel so inadequate, so inadequately prepared, so not ready. But Lord, I'm asking for you to overcome my weaknesses. I'm asking, Lord, that you'd anoint me from on high, that you'd preach me one more time, God, that you'd fill me full of your spirit, Lord, that you would just clear my mind of everything but your message, your words, your thoughts, place on my tongue the very words you'd have me to say, Lord, help me, Lord, for it to just flow from you through my spirit to theirs, Lord, that they know that it's just one dying man to another, God, but they know that they're ultimately hearing your word and your message from you. <coughs> God, just do what... Only you can do. And we'll be sure and give you every bit of the glory for it because we love you. We worship you. We praise your holy name. We ask it all in the precious and holy name of Jesus. Amen. <coughs> this psalm, um, I don't want to say that it's probably read at every funeral, but it sure does seem like it. It's read at a lot of funerals. I read it at Pretty much, I think every funeral that I have ever officiated, uh, I think I have read this psalm, usually at the graveside. This psalm is associated with death a lot. I think it's associated with death because of the fourth verse. Yea, though I walk through the valley of <clears throat> Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Right? That valley of the shadow of death. I, I think that's why. Uh, it is associated uh, with death or the time of dying. Um, it goes on to say, I will fear no evil. Thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. I want to focus in on that verse. And I'm not saying that it is inappropriate. I don't want you to take that from this message. I'm not saying that it's wrong or inappropriate to read this at, at a funeral. I, I have no intention of, of stopping uh, using it at funerals, uh, you know, uh, I get it, I understand, and uh, you know, there, I, there's no problem with that, but I'm hoping that we can dive in, and maybe the Lord can open our eyes a little bit, and maybe give you a better understanding of what the psalmist is talking about here, uh, how that can fit with, with, with people that are grieving in that time uh, you know, of, of death and so on and so forth. But there's a whole lot more meaning to it and for us today. And so I just want to focus on this fourth verse within the context of all the scriptures, but specifically this fourth verse here. So I want you to understand that this is a psalm of David, okay? If, you're, if your Bible has titles uh, uh, at the beginning of the psalm, it will say a psalm of David. I don't know if you realize this or not. I think I mentioned it before one time when I was preaching on the psalms, but that inscription, that title that's given at the beginning, actually in the Hebrew Bible, that's part of the first verse, and sometimes it is the entire first verse. And so if you read this in a, in a Hebrew Bible, in a Jewish Bible, uh, the first verse starts a psalm of David.
David, and then goes on, the Lord is my shepherd, and so on and so forth. So the psalmist David, right, he, he is the author here, and I think it's important to understand a little bit about David. Now, this is when I say the psalmist David, this is King David. Right, this is David that whenever uh, the blind man called out and called Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. Right, he uses the title son of David, right? That's a messianic title, right? He's referring to this same David, right? Because God had promised that the Messiah would come from uh, through David's uh, uh, seed, right? Through David's descendants would be an ancestor of David, right? He promised that he would sit on the throne of David uh, forever, right? And so anyways, this is the same David. And so the psalmist David, understand he was a man who had experienced both good times and bad times, all right? He had lived both in a palace and in a cave, right? I mean, there was times, right, he, he's the one that built the palace and lived in the palace as king of Israel. He's also the one that was, uh, that when he was running from Saul, right, that lived in, uh, had to hide out in caves, right? He had lit, he had had the highest office in the land, and he had been the most wanted man in the land, right? He had been both a king and a wanted, a ref, uh, wanted fugitive in his life, right? So through all of this, there is still no doubt that David, uh, there was no doubt um, in David's mind that God had been with him every step of the way. And I think he expresses it, right? I think he expresses it in the statement, uh, Thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. David, I think because of that statement, David knew beyond any shadow of doubt that God would see him through. So, as we look at this song, and there, there, this psalm, to me, it is so rich. There is so much there. I, I, I could probably preach a couple of months, honestly, sermon after sermon, right? Sunday morning, Sunday night, Sunday morning, Sunday night, just working my way through this psalm. And I, I, right now, I don't feel led to do that. I just feel focus, or led to focus on this fourth verse uh, here this morning. And so let's, let's start pulling it apart and looking at it phrase by phrase, okay? And let's start thinking about what it is that he's saying and what it is, how that, what that might mean to us, how that might reflect, right, in, in, in our lives. And so anyway, so the, the first thing that I think we need to look at when we look at this phrase, right, or this scripture, the first phrase is, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Right? Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Um, let's talk about that for just a minute, okay? The valley of the shadow of death. Um, this is probably the phrase that I think in this entire psalm that may be the most misunderstood. Maybe, maybe most people don't have this problem. Maybe it was just me. But the valley of the shadow of death, um, it's a saying, right? It, it, it's the way of kind of painting a picture with your words, right? What it's talking about is a dark 
valley, right? Really, it's, it's signifying the darkest valley, right? It's, 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 if you look at the Hebrew word that's used there, it literally means deep darkness, right? So it's talking about the darkest valley. What is meant by the darkest valley? Well, this is where the greatest danger lurks, right? If you think about a shepherd and sheep, for instance, this is where the predator is, right? This is where the danger is. This is where it's scary, right? And what it is implying is an intense darkness, right? That represents an extreme danger, right? It's What it's really referring to is dis, a distressing time in our lives. That's the dark valley or, you know, the, the shadow of the valley, the shadow, right? The valley of the shadow of death. Now, let's think about in this phrase, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, let's think about the walk of the Christian. The walk, if you want to use the word saint, the walk of the saint, right? Saint is, is anybody who's saved, anybody who's a Christian, right? If you're saved, you're sanctified, that makes you a saint. So, going through the valley of the shadow of death, that trying, that dark, dangerous time, that can mean different things to different people, right? I mean, for some, it may involve suffering through a loved one who is dying with some sort of disease, some sort of fatal illness. I had uh, three prayer requests this morning before Sunday school even started for three different people with cancer. And so right there, that could be uh, that, that, that could be that dark valley, right? That, 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 um, that, that valley of the shadow of death for them, right? For them and for their loved ones that's going through this with them, right? Uh, it, it could be uh, this, uh, this valley uh, of the shadow of death could be for some, right? It could involve uh, maybe, maybe watching your house burn, right? A fire or a flood, uh, some sort of disaster, right? That destroys your home and, and, and sweeps away your possessions or burns up your possessions, right? It, it could involve losing your job or, or your source of income, whatever that might be, right? Uh, uh, it, it could be some sort of great financial uh, uh, you know, problem or something to that sort, right? It could mean, it, for some it could involve or could mean being betrayed by someone who you trusted, someone who was close to you, right? It, it, it might, for some, it might involve uh, having to defend yourself, right? Maybe, maybe defend yourself legally in court against some sort of false accusation or something like that, you know? It could mean going through something difficult in your personal life. It might mean going through a difficult divorce after having a less than ideal or perfect marriage, for instance, right? It could, it, for some, it could mean enduring the loneliness of being left by yourself in your, in your what's usually referred to as your sunset years, right? Going through a time where you feel like you have poured your entire life into your family. Maybe it's your kids, maybe it's your spouse has passed away, whatever, and now you find yourself, right, the loneliest you've ever been in these final 
years and, and, and feel like you've been left alone, right? And so now you are in a place where you are searching through the debris of what's left and you are trying to sort out the pieces, right? And you're trying to endeavor to get on with living to the, to the best of your ability uh, with what is left of your life. And so I want to tell you what I believe this is saying is that God will see you through. He will see you through whatever adverse situation you may encounter, right? He, he will see you through, right? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if the waters are raging, He'll see you through. It doesn't matter if, if the furnace, it doesn't matter how hot the furnace of afflictions are. God will see you through. It doesn't matter if the wolves are after you, right? God will see you through. It doesn't matter how, how steep or rugged the climb may be. He will see you through. It doesn't matter how long or lonesome the valley may be. God is there. He will see you through. It doesn't matter uh, if the night is dark and dreary he will see you through it doesn't matter how heavy or tiresome the burden may be God is going to still still see you through right it doesn't matter right it doesn't matter if, if your knees are knocking your head is hung low your body is weak God will see you through it doesn't matter if people are criticizing you and condemning you right God will still see you through it if the road is rough and bumpy if the storm clouds are dark and threatening right if fear taunts you and torments you if doubts begin to plague your mind if your body is suffering uh, with, uh, with with pain if the opposition is strong and overwhelming god will see you through that my friends is the valley of the shadow of death. And David says, Yeah, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. David doesn't say, God is going to make a way around that valley, that dark place, that hard place. Nowhere. You don't find that in the scripture. Nowhere do you find the idea or the concept that you're going to be going along and then, oh, there's the dark valley of my life, right? And God's just going to pick me up and put me down on the other side of it where I don't have to go through it. That's not scriptural. That's taught and preached a lot, but it ain't Bible. David says, yea, though I walk through this, though I walk through this darkness. David, a man after God's own heart. I mean, promises made to David like not to hardly anybody else. Abraham and David, I feel like, maybe had some of the greatest promises in all of Scripture, right? Uh, and yet God is not going to exempt him 
from walking through the valley. If God is not going to exempt David, why in the world would we be exempt? Jesus wasn't. Neither are we. The promise is not to skip over the valley. The promise is not to go to sleep and wake up on the other side of it, not experience any of that. The promise is that he'll see you through it. He'll still be with you on the other side. Listen to me. If your future in this old world looks bleak and bleary, You need to look a little farther because he's going to see you through. Right? I, I, the, the song, I picked Psalm 30 for Sandy to read this morning. The main reason I wanted her to read that is in the fifth verse it says, Weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. There's light on the other side of the darkness, right? If you are a child of God, if you have been redeemed from your sins, if, if you know the Lord personally, do you understand what I'm saying? If your name is written in the Lamb's book of life, glory to God, you have, uh, you have turned it over to Him. What am I trying to say here? If you've accepted Jesus and what He's done for you, right? If you've gotten saved, right? I, I don't know how to say this. If the Holy Spirit of God has come uh, and dwelt with inside of you and you've been born again by the Spirit of God and you know the old man is dead and now you're a new creature in Christ and, and all things, right? It's not the same. Hallelujah. Glory to the Lamb of God. You're not who the man that you used to be or the woman that you used to be, right? And God has redeemed you. He has written your name in the Lamb's book of life. You have the promise, right, that Jesus makes in John chapter 14 where he said, I go and prepare a place for you and if I go and prepare a place, I'll come again and receive you unto myself that where I am there you may be also if you're looking for the coming of the Lord and you know glory to God it's going to happen you don't know when but when it does he's going to call my name hallelujah and this little fat boy is going to lose all kinds of gravity and I'm going to be caught up in the air to meet him and be with the Lord forevermore well you might not be fat like me but you still you, you know what I'm saying right If you can say, now you might not say it like I just said, but you get what I'm getting at. And if you can say that, if you are a child of God and been redeemed, your sins have been forgiven, washed away by the white of the blood, or by the getting two phrases mixed up there, washed away by the blood of the Lamb, right? Cleansed, made white. You know the Lord Jesus in a personal, intimate way. Then you can know without a shadow of a doubt that God will see you through. 
He will see you through every trial, every temptation, every obstacle, every disaster, every storm, every sorrow, every hardship, every crisis, every affliction, every dilemma, every frustration, every disability, every misery, every problem that comes your way. God will see you through And I can say that with confidence because I know. I know who I serve. He will see you through just the same as he saw Noah through the flood. Now come on. Saw Noah through the flood. He was on the boat with Noah. Right? Right? He, he saw Noah, through, right? The Bible says that God's no respecter of persons. Just as he saw Noah through, he'll see you through. Just like he saw Moses in the nation of Israel through the wilderness, right? Through that Egyptian desert, right? In Sinai, the Sinai Desert, whatever you want to call it, right? He'll see you and me through. Just like he saw Joseph through all of his years in that Egyptian prison. He'll see us through. Just like he saw David through his battle with the giant Goliath. Have you ever thought about that? I mean, now that's a real historical event that happened, but there's a lot of significance in what it represents, right? David, right, this young man, right, who had no experience in battle and in war, not against humans. Now, his, you know, what he gave for his credentials was that he had took care of his father's sheep and he'd killed uh, bears and lions in defending them, uh, right? But he had never actually put on armor and went to battle, went to war against to other men and here he goes up against literally a giant of a man. Now, now let me just pause for a second. This is one of my soapboxes I get onto. We have this problem. I hear so many idiots uh, spouting off all the time about how there must be some mistake in Goliath's height. That there is no way that you know this is real, that it's fictitious and so on and so forth. Well that just the best word I can use for that is ignorance. And after you've been given the facts, if you still believe it, then it becomes stupidity. But here's the deal. Here's the deal. Does anybody know who the tallest man ever officially recorded by Genesis? Uh, the, I forget what it's called, Guinness's Book of Records or whatever. He's from Alton, Illinois. His name is Robert, is it Waldo or Wallo? Waldo, I think, something like that. I, I'm drawing a blank. I, did, I wasn't planning on saying this. I'd looked it up before the sermon, or before this morning if I had. Anyways, I, I've looked this up quite a bit or before. The pictures of the man officially measured. Actually, um, 
where did Trish go? Your mom told me the story one time when she was a little girl of meeting him because he had to, of course his shoes had to be special ordered and Browns down here, when Browns was still open, made a pair and he'd come down here, he'd come down here to get his shoes and, and your mom, Trish's mom, Hazel, could remember when she was a little girl seeing him over there on the square. Of course, anywhere he went would have been a big deal, you know what I'm saying? But anyways, I've done the math and there is only nine inches difference between him and Goliath. Now you're going, he was like 8 foot 11 or something like that um, when the, they took the official measurement. So you're going to tell me in the last hundred years we can have somebody, however tall he was, I think it's 8 foot 11, 8 foot whatever it was, we can have him but you can't go another, was it 7 inches or 9 inches more? In all of history, right, thousands of years of history, there's never been a man that was just a few inches taller than him. Oh, now, come on. Come on, now. I mean, so anyways, it's a real historical deal here that's recorded. The greatest history book that's ever been written. But the thing that, that you need to recognize and it symbolizes to us is David's literally fighting a giant of a man. A man, I said David was just a youth, but Goliath had been a, he had been a soldier since his youth, right? He'd been a man of war since his youth. Of course, David kills him, right, with a slingshot and then cuts his head off. Well, that's kind of gross, but that's what happened. That represents to every one of us the giants in our own lives. And you, you, you're probably not ever going to have to fight a, somebody over nine foot tall. You're probably not ever going to fight anybody over seven foot tall. You know what I'm saying? But it represents the giant that we all have or all face at some point or another or maybe multiple times in our own life. And here's my point. God didn't abandon David in his darkest hour, in his greatest time of need. No. Who do you think guided that stone that hit old Goliath right in the middle of the forehead and sunk in deep and he dropped over, killed over, just, I think he was dead before he hit the ground, but if he wasn't, they give David enough time to cut his head off and he was definitely dead then, right? Who is it that you think that guided that, uh, that stone and give it the velocity, right, to sink into old Goliath's forehead like it did? It sure wasn't that little boy David. It was God. You don't think God will see you through? Sure he will. He saw, he saw uh, Noah through the flood. He saw Moses in Israel uh, through, the, through that time of the Egyptian uh, Pharaoh and the Egyptian army chasing them. And then they're 40 years in the wilderness and he provided for them and took care of them. He saw David through his battle with Goliath. He saw them three Hebrew boys through the fiery furnace. You remember what old Nebuchadnezzar said when he looked down in there? Right? He said they was a fourth that looked like unto the Son of Man. Right? You don't think God saw them through? Of course he saw them through it. Right? But it didn't end there. Right? What about 
Daniel in the lion's den. There was God. God saw him through, right? Daniel said that God sent an angel to close that lion's mouth. Did he not, right? God saw him through it. Right? We look at the judges, right? And what about Gideon? God is, is I think Gideon made a lot of mistakes. But yet God still saw him through uh, his battle with the Midianite army. Uh, God saw Naomi through her years of disaster. I don't know how else to, exp- how else to explain that. But her life didn't go very good in the land of Moab. She lost everything there, including her husband and both of her sons. And God saw her through all of that, right? God saw Esther through her stand, right? She had to take a stand in a foreign land, right? Had to take a stand amongst people that hated them and wanted to kill the Jewish people. She had to take a stand for the chosen people of God. And God saw her through that and thinking about that same time, right? God saw Nehemiah through the building of the walls of Jerusalem. And God also saw Jeremiah through his horrible experience in that miry pit, glory to God. And yet the scriptures tells us that God will pick us up right out of the miry clay and set our feet upon the solid rock and establish our ways and goings. Why don't we believe that? If God saw these men and women, these godly men and women, these saints, these believers, through all of this, then listen to me. You can rest assured that he'll see you through whatever it is that you might face as well. No matter what it might be. You know, the next part of this verse, I think, goes right with this, right? He says, I will fear no evil, right? Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. You know, I was thinking about the walk, and I was thinking about the courage. I will fear no evil. That's a, that's a statement of courage, right? I, I mean, w- what he's saying is it's, it's not going to dominate me, right? It, it, it's not going to reign over me. It's not going to dominate me. It's not going to control me. David is saying, regardless of what problems I may have to solve or I may face, I will fear no evil. Regardless of what difficulties I may have to face, I will fear no evil. Regardless of what enemies I may have to conquer, I will fear no evil. Regardless of, of what may arise, regardless of what crisis I may have to deal with, I will fear no evil. Regardless of what opposition I may have to encounter. And regardless of who it may come from, I will fear no evil. Regardless of what giants I may have to slay, right? David speaking from experience, I will fear no evil. In other words, David is essentially kind of making the same statement that the Apostle Paul made whenever he said that he knew 
whom he had believed and was persuaded that he was able to keep that which he had committed unto him against that day. I mean, just listen for a minute to what else he wrote. I, I noted a couple of other psalms, all right, verses in psalms. In Psalm 27, 1, psalmist wrote, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? In Psalm 56, 4, he says, In God will I praise his word. In God I have put my trust. I will not fear what flesh can do unto me. And then lastly, in Psalm 118, verse 6, psalmist wrote, The Lord is on my side. I will not fear what man can do unto me. King David knew. He knew that he had a good reason not to fear. For he knew that the Lord was with him. And that if he ever encountered a situation which he himself could not handle, he knew that the Lord could and that the Lord would. We face situations all the time that we know is beyond what I can handle or what you can handle. Listen to me. You can have the same confidence, right? You can say the same thing that David said here. Why? Because you can know, you can trust in, you can be assured, you can rest in the fact that the Lord can and will, that he's not going to leave you to go through it on your own, but instead he's going to see you through it, right? Just as he has many, many times in the past. You can rest assured, right, that no matter what it may involve, he will see you through it. So I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet here this morning. And I'm going to give you an invitation to come. Spirit of God dealing with you, uh, first and foremost, whatever it may be, you just come on. Uh, maybe you've been going through some things. And I want you to leave here knowing that God will see you through whatever it may be. Whatever it may be, God will see you through. He's not going to abandon you or leave you in your darkest hour. Devil wants you to believe that. He's the one that wants you to fear. But God's not going to leave you. And He's not going to abandon you. He's going to be there every step of the way. I think when you even when you can't even go no farther, He'll pick you up and carry you. If you've got a need, if you've got a burden this morning, would you come? Would you come?